Hi, this is Michael Levine from Triumph, and you're listening to my good buddy, Shane Christopher Neal on Giant FM. Uh, and I just want to throw out there, I know that Gil's a busy guy. He's got his hands in a lot of pies. Uh, great guy. But if you ever need a drummer, I'm available. Just hit me right. up, and I'd be happy to show up and play some tunes with Triumph, you know? <laughs> you got it, buddy. You're there. I, I, I know how to find you now. <laughs> JinFM.com, one of the best lyrics in rock and roll. Happiness is just a state of mind. Always positive lyrics in a positive band. Of course, I'm talking about the band Triumph, uh, made up of Mike Levine, Gil Moore, and Rick Emmett, of course. And in today's podcast, I sat down with Mike Levine from the band. Uh, There's a new documentary, Rock and Roll Machine. Uh, It premiered at TIFF in Toronto, and you'll hear in the interview, uh, it's going to Crave TV in the fall of 2021, and uh, they're hoping to get it into theaters as well, so we'll see what happens with that. But uh, I did get a sneak peek at watching the entire documentary. It's more of a film, and uh, truly awesome. If you're a Triumph fan, definitely a must-see. And Mike and I chatted about a lot of great things, like the Us Festival, who would forget that, 1983, about the impact of radio. Uh, on the band back in the early days, of course, being discovered out in Texas by a DJ. How the band got a record deal with really no band. I don't know if you know this story, but uh, Mike's going to tell that as well. And I love the fact that they did not play Massey Hall, although it was sold out for two days. Uh, and, and you'll find out why. But they did play <laughs> Maple Leaf Gardens. Oh, boy. We talk about Michael Cole at CPI, who booked them at Maple Leaf Gardens. A lot of fun things in this conversation. What a super cool dude. My good friend, Mike Levine. Triumph. Industry 45 show. GiantFM.com. Stick around. All right. GiantFM.com. Shane Christopher Neal. Uh, Real privilege to do this. Brand new artist, brand new upstart band called Triumph, Mike Levine. This is my second interview ever. I love it. Oh, man. You know, I, uh, I got sent a copy of the documentary, Rock and Roll Machine, a couple of days ago. I watched it. And I'm a huge Triumph fan, but, man, I was just engaged the whole time. Such a great, great documentary. I like the cartoon aspect. Um, a lot of great people on there and some great stories. But... First question I want to ask you is, in the documentary, and you've said this a few times, one-tenth of one percent get to do what they love in their life. And you got to do that. You got to watch the documentary, and it kind of took you through all of that, I'm sure. So give me your take on the documentary when you got to see it at uh, the Toronto Film Festival. Oh, boy. Um, I was so happy it was finally done. Because uh, <laughs> it's was, it was been a, an ongoing process for like five years. But... Uh, I'd say it's my takeaway from, I think Banger did an absolute incredible job on, on, on making it and telling the story. 
um, couldn't have been much better. You know, there's some things that I would do slightly differently, but you know, to me, maybe laugh, maybe cry, which is more than a documentary usually does. You know, right. like a, a, it's more like a film to me. It was right. uh, rather than a die. It wasn't like a rock doc. You know, a bunch of guys get girls do cocaine, go to jail, get busted. You know, what all that <laughs> stuff. And, like. Uh, it was a story and I love the story. Was there anything like, did you get to see any parts of this before um, the Toronto film festival? Like, was this all new to you? And if it was, was there anything that you thought was left out that was important? Um, got to see many times before. before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I would like to lie and say, no, it's the first time. And I hated this and hated that, but no, <laughs> we, we had conversations because Banger wanted to make sure they're getting stuff right. Right. So they'd circulate a, a rough cut uh, to me, Rick and Gill, and ask for opinions. You know, are we, do we get to it? Do we have the story right? You know, what are we missing? Blah, blah, blah. And then, then the, the wars would start. We'd, we'd come up with our ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd go, oh, you guys are crazy. That's not going to work. We'd go, yeah, but we want it to work. You guys can make it happen. Don't you want to keep the band happy, guys? That's right. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I, they said, no, we don't care about the band. We care about the film. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. They're being honest, at least. Um, yeah. Something surprised me. I did not know you got a record deal with really no band because Rick wasn't in the band yet. Attic Records, I think, cut you a check. Um, the, how did that happen? <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's not really a long story, so I'll, I'll try and keep it short. Um, Tom Williams, who is one of the partners in Attic Records, in a previous incarnation of my life, I've worked, worked with a record company. And uh, Tom and I became friends. He was head of promotion at Warner Brothers Records in Canada. Um, so uh, we had met at a couple of functions because I was a label guy too, only by his label was as big as, as big as Goliath and we were as big as a little tadpole. But Tom and I got along great. So. Whatever he went on, and I knew nobody in radio, nobody, like zero. So he um, he said, look, he said, I'm going on a cross-country trip, uh, you know, in June, you know, this would be in April. And, uh, you know, if you want to come along, you know, I'll send you my itinerary, you can poach off Order Brothers people here. And, you know, I have these big parties. I invite, you know, all the radio guys in Winnipeg, it's rounds. But I go to Calgary and I do the same thing. Then I go to Saskatoon and do the same thing. You're welcome to come along and come to all my events. And I'll introduce you to all the radio people. I went, so oh, that's fantastic. And I love you, buddy, forever. So I did that a couple of times with Tom. <coughs> Got to know a lot of radio guys in Canada, pretty much everybody. And, uh, and then when he left Warner's and started Attic with Albert, um, it was kind of a logical thing that, when Gil and I were plotting Triumph, and what Triumph was going to be, we didn't even have a name. Uh, I said, well, the first thing we need is a record deal, or otherwise we're done like there. Like, well, you know, we might as well keep doing what we're doing, playing high schools with the other guys at Abernathy. And uh, he goes, no, no, I hear you. We do, but how do we do that? I said, just leave that to me. So I went to Tom <laughs> in his new offices and said, Tom, I'm starting a rock band. <laughs> I need money. Yeah, I need I, I need some money, uh, and I needed to know that we're going to be able to make records. So I need a check and a record deal. He goes, is, "What's the name of the band?" I said, "There's no name." <laughs> well, who's in the band? I said, "Me and Gil Moore." 
He goes, a two-piece band? I said, no, it'll be, it'll be a three-piece. It'll be like one of the world's greatest guitar players will be in this band. And he goes, looked at me and he went, mm -hmm, sure, Mike. Yeah, what else? I said, we're going to sell out arenas everywhere. It's going to be one of the biggest bands in the world. Mark my word. And he goes, how much do you need? I said, 10 grand. It's fine. I don't remember. I think it was 10 grand. I think the check was 10 grand, the one in yeah, the movie. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. So, so it, was, it was 10 G's. And so the next week they stroked the check. And we signed Gil and I signed a little uh, deal memo. And uh, we went about the business of choosing a name and finding a guitar player. And there <laughs> so you have it. That's how the record deal got it done. Easy peasy, not so oh, much yeah. anymore. Um, you know, you mentioned radio a couple times, and obviously I work in radio. Um, at one time, you were trying to get on radio, and then I think you became the sound of radio. Do you remember the first time you heard a Triumph song on radio is my first question. And my second one, I love the story about Texas, because it was a radio guy who was spinning uh, Triumph songs, and that's how it kind of caught on during the, in that state. So maybe talk about that a little bit. Sure. So... Um, the very the first album had a song on it called Blinding Light Show, and um, which was nine minutes long, I think. But we were still kind of radio still was a little bit freeformish. It hadn't got too formalized yet. Album radio, it was kind of in a lot of markets, but some markets it wasn't. Uh, but there's a station here in Toronto called uh, CFNY, which became yep. a powerhouse. Uh, at the time, though, they were just a little station with a 5,000-watt transmitter up at Brampton, north of Toronto. But a good friend of ours, Nick, Nick Masetic, who's passed away, was now, but uh, God bless Nick, he was a part-time weekend guy. So he took the album and called us and said, guys, I'm going to play it like at 8 o'clock. I'm going to play Blinding Light Show at 8 o'clock, you know, so be in your car or wherever you're going to listen. So sure enough, eight o'clock comes along and there he does a great intro. And uh, and here comes the song and you're going, okay, let's see how good it is. How good are the chops, Mike and Nick and Gil? And it sounded great. So that was very, very, very attractive to us. Um, as far as the rest of, you know, how really, it, that's the album went gold in Canada, like in a hurry. It was amazing yeah. way enough. Um, and that, that was strictly from, you know, word of mouth, very little radio play up there, very little. Uh, Chum FM played it once in Ruger rotation and, uh, you know, three of the morning, you know, well, the Giants long song, we played playing light show, we could use the band. It was like, we played Stairway to Heaven, you know, right, you yeah, know yeah. someone has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I think it was David Farrell or... Or somebody else other than David, Larry LeBlanc. No, it wasn't Larry, but uh, David Farrell, who has uh, an industry rank called The Record, they're dead at the, in those days. Uh, there was two. There was RPM and, and, and David's rank. But somebody sent the album to a few radio stations in America, one of which was KISS FM in San Antonio. And KISS at the time was... Uh, uh, a very oddball station. It was an AM-FM combo. So they simulcast uh, um, uh, everything because it was easier. It was owned by some guy, right? But it didn't matter. He owned the, the car dealership too. So, but they played a heavy metal from noon till six and the rest of the time was religious, so, which really made a lot of sense to me. But nonetheless, 
these these two guys, Joe Anthony and Lou Rohde, were the the jocks, and they were both they're nutbars, they're crazy. You know, Joe was a, a, I don't know. After after we got to know them, we realized how crazy they really were. Anyway, they started playing them, playing the songs from the album. The phone started to light up. Attic Records started shipping records into Texas. Uh, we sold five, ten thousand units, and uh, just on import. Been through San Antonio and Austin and Corpus Christi because the radio play started to spread because of what Kiss was doing. Right. And they put us in a position where we got invited down later on to headline a show. Is this there the one Sammy Hagar couldn't do? Yeah, well, yeah, when Sammy bailed on the show yeah, okay. to go play with Kiss at Madison Square Garden, so he didn't have a headliner <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so they phoned us, and we went, yikes. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> but we went down and did it, and the place rocked, and we, we just slayed the place. It was just like blind by We We well, all looked at each other on stage going, is this really happening? I guess where it is. Well, I mean, without a doubt, and you see in the documentary, and if you're a Triumph fan, you know that that you're a live band. It's all about the live show, the pyro, um, you know, creating a larger than life rock star. I saw Triumph a few times, Kingswood Music Theater, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. Um, I want to briefly talk about the US Festival, because obviously monumental for, for your band in 1983. Um, was that your biggest moment, do you think, in Triumph was to play the US Festival? Um. Oh, you know, it's 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 kind of weird. There's there are so many moments that you remember that 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 are like you, you were. That's really important. It's kind of like you get asked what's your favorite album. I said the one we just put out. Right, <laughs> always my favorite. Album. <laughs> but uh, you know, you look at moments. I you know just uh, things like uh, playing in Chicago, where um, you know you know hor- horribly so, but. The opening acts didn't last on stage more than a minute because everybody was there to see Triumph, period. They threw shit at them. It's like it was horrible, right. you know? Yeah, uh, you know, so that, that's a moment, but it's not a great moment, I don't think. But that didn't, and then it turned out that was not unique just to that particular venue or that city. It happened elsewhere, too. Wow. And, you know, so it, you, if you opened for Triumph, you, you know, you had to wear Kevlar. <laughs> you know, or, be, or 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 be really good. The word got out, but you know, we you know before before the S Festival, we co-headlined the Rose Bowl with Journey. Oh, nice! You know, with one hundred ten thousand people, Pasadena, yeah, and it was so spectacular. You know, it's like that was a huge moment um, that I'll never forget. And I, that was the first time I ever saw Journey because they 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 we tossed to see it was going to close, and they actually lost. <laughs> closing, closing a show is not a great idea, but it's right after us. <laughs> um, I went to the press box and watched them play. But what a great band they are, or were, were then and still are. But, uh, you know, that was a great moment. Uh, there was just so many great moments. But the S Festival, um, I think that will last forever because, you know, people won't remember the Rose Bowl except those that were there. But the S Festival is something yeah, documented, yeah. That will never happen again. You'll never get that many headliners of the day. Uh, uh, to play on the same stage in, in, in one day. Right, know? right. Uh, there'll never be another heavy metal Sunday. Let's put it that way. Um, another moment in the in the film was, and I didn't know this either, that you were going to play Massey Hall, two shows, but of course it's uh, a structure of, of wood. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're blowing everything up. They tell you no. Who has the audacity to call Michael Cole at CPI and say, well, we're just going to play Maple Leaf Gardens. Was that you or Giller? Somebody called him and said, just put us into Maple Leaf Gardens. That is a crazy story. Well, so here's what happened. We had, for a short time, we had managers in our career. So we had Dale Dixon, who I'm sure you know, Dale, yep. uh, and, and Steve Propaz. And, and, and Steve was not so Neil was down here. So when we found out about the pyro, Steve had one of the first cell phones known to man. It was one of those car ones, you know, that, that yeah. you, you couldn't carry, it had to be in your car. So Neil and I were together somewhere. And I think it was, we had a beef at the musicians union or something because we, we blew up a high school or something bad happened. And, uh, and Steve and Gil were together doing something. So uh, we get the call, I guess they phoned Steve, uh, CPI phone to say, you know, there's, there's, there's no pyro. And so then the four of us ended up on a call together and went, okay, what are we gonna do? Well, and Gil and I went, you know, they leaf gardens. What else? <laughs> <laughs> and Steve and Neil went, are you, yeah. they were like, my call, are you guys, are you guys crazy? They said, no, we're not crazy. We can do it. Well, it's like, you know, we sold up Massey Hall in a heartbeat for crying out loud. It's not a big stretch to go from 2,700 seats to 9,000. Right, whippy. Yeah, <laughs> we just promoted it. We set it downstream, we get some publicity. So Gil and Steve phoned, phoned Mike Cole. And, and the conversation was pretty much the way Cole remembered it. <laughs> you guys have to be nuts. You're crazy. <laughs> but it's like, it's, so we made like an insane deal with Michael because he didn't want to take any risk. Right. And we sold out and made a ton of dough. And Cole made, we made, we usually the promoter would make this and we'd make this. We made this and he made this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought it was a great story though, and uh, Neil Dixon from well in, is in the documentary. I work for Neil Dixon. I don't know if you know that. Uh, oh, for, CMW. Yeah, CMW. Right. I'm a host and a uh, do a bunch of stuff over there for him. So okay. and there's there's some great people in this documentary. John Five, uh, Sebastian Bach starts it out. That was awesome. Trailer Park Boys, uh, Irving Azoff, uh, Michael Cole, obviously, and a couple of other. Ron Nevison. I couldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> which was an interesting little thing that happened there. Um, I want to ask you when, when Rick left the band and that's also documented here, it was a tough time. I'm going to ask you this. Did, did you buy this album? And I, I forget the audio, <laughs> so this is absolutely by, uh, by Rick Emmett. Did you buy this album when it came out or no? Was that the first one he did after? I think it was the first one in 1990. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's on, that was on uh, charisma, right? Charisma records. Uh, yeah. Mm, could be. This says Duke street records. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, I just, I just maybe some songs on it. I, 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 all I remember is Big this Lie. Is like, yeah, that's, what, that's on this one. Drive Time, okay. Big Lie, Saved by Love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so Charisma, um, call, we're, we're interested in signing Rick and getting that record. Um, the president and CEO of Charisma and the head of promotion were both great buddies of mine. And they phoned me and asked if it was okay if they signed Rick. Really? Yeah. And I said, of course, course. well, you know, know, go for it, guys. Good luck. I hope, I hope it all works out for you. Um, Before that, 1986, you come out with this and this, this, I'm holding this up. I keep forgetting this is audio of the sport of Kings and to show you like my pack, like this is how old it is. It just, it's falling apart. because Mine mine too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in, in the documentary, 
uh, they talk about somebody's out there. And a few things with that song. Um, I'm a longtime drummer. And back then I was in high school. My dad was a jazz drummer, had drum lessons from my dad. And I would always play that song and play drums to it because I just love the drum fills, love the song. How important was this, that song to this album? Because from what I was watching, there was really not a hit and, and the label was looking for one. You were under, and this was under MCA now, right? And yeah. they were looking, and, and Rick went to write that song. How important was that then to bring Triumph back to the forefront uh, on radio? Uh, we never went away to forefront. Uh, you know, the whole thing about, you know, that somebody said that Irving wanted us to have a hit single. Irving couldn't have cared less if we had oh, okay. a single or not, which we didn't know at the time. Uh, but it was his uh, A&R guy that, when, you know, it's like we signed this band and, you know, they're, kind of, they're all over album radio. They sell out on every tour they do, uh, but a hit single would be great. So let's uh, let's just put them under the gun and tell them Irving says this is that. And nobody questioned it. That was the thing. I can't believe it because I had to, Irving and I would talk all the time and Gilbert Irving would talk all the time. So we just never questioned it. Right. And we said, okay, you know, why not? You know, let's just do it and see what, see what happens. Um, of course, there was, there was a huge fallout from that. That's you know, with Ron Nevison and Mike Quint. Right. Um, however, uh, you know, again, it was like we were short, short uh, songs because the songs that Ron brought to the party were already, they were supposed to be exclusive to him. They hadn't been recorded yet. You know, we're in the studio at Metalworks. I'm in the lounge, Rick's doing a guitar solo, Quick and Deficit are in there with him, and I'm watching TV, I'm watching much music or something, yeah, much music is alive now, I think. And I see a song that Rick is now playing the guitar solo on, sung by a band from Vancouver, I see a video of it. And I'm going, oh my God, what now? So then I had somebody trace the history of the other two songs that we had already recorded, and found that other bands had recorded them. Right, because they were outside writers that were writing some of these. Uh, yeah, these were they're from outside writers. Right. Or, or, or from the band that, that I saw play the song, but they were not hits. They mm-hmm. already been released. So Triumph, one of the biggest bands in the world, is now covering songs that stiff bands recorded. Right, right. And they, that could not happen. So... Basically, Ron was fired, uh, even though we didn't really fire him. We just forced him out. Right. Told him what a piece of tongue he was. And, um, and we moved on from there. But somebody's out there. Like, I had to produce that because Clank and the A&R guy, by Clank and the A&R guy, took the tapes that were already finished and went to L.A. to mix without really asking anybody in the band. They show up right. in the studio. <laughs> and where's, where's Clank? Oh, he left. He left this morning. Where'd he go? Oh, he went to L.A. I said, with what? With who? Oh, he went with Tom. I said, oh, great. You know, what are they doing? Oh, they're mixing. I said, they what? <laughs> so now we're sitting there. We actually needed a couple of songs. And uh, but I just said to Rick, I said, go home. That's it's in the film. But, you know, yeah, go home and write a we need a song. You know, I don't care if they hit song or a dog hit song. Just write me a really good song. That, that I you know I can get RCA to put on the radio. And sure enough, he came in with that. You know, we recorded it, I produced it, and 
talked MCA into into it was going to be a huge single. It was it did well as a top twenty single. It wasn't huge, like twenty seven or something. I think yeah, twenty seven. Yeah, I mean you know we it was on one hundred fifty stations or two hundred stations or whatever. You know, so it was what number one out of bunch and whatever. But our goal was never to have hit singles. That's didn't matter. Um. You know, you mentioned much music. J.D. Roberts is a big part of this this film as well, who was a good friend of the band, obviously, and, and was almost documenting everything for much music, I think, when he was traveling with you. And yeah. I love the, the phrase, the good guys in the era of dirtbags in the 1980s, which is, you know, you guys got such positive songs and everything is uplifting. And man, this documentary just, I was so impressed with it. I can't wait till people see it. It'll be out, I think, on Crave. And uh, I thank you for your time. I got one question. What's left for you now? Um, more interviews? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean today. Um, I just mean in general. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much, um, there's so much trial interest uh, for everything to do with Triumph, whether it's repackaging stuff, uh, you know, putting out like the Allied Forces box set that we yep. put out, which is pretty, it's a pretty, it's a beautiful piece. Um, uh, okay, what are you going to do with Never Surrender? That's next. Although this is now 35 years of, of or sorry, 45 years since the first album came out. You're supposed to do an anniversary every five years now, apparently. Apparently. I forgot about that. You know, so uh, it's kind of like you go, hmm, whatever. There's all this <laughs> stuff going on. It's like I was on a call to three other calls today, other interviews, just about doing things, things that are triumph oriented. Right. Once the film comes out, you know, we're hopefully that's going to go into theaters first before it's on Crave and all that, at least for a for a weekend or even a one night stand. Oh, that'd be super, yeah. And do it all over North America with Regal or Cinema, Cineplex or one of those big companies. Uh, and I just want to throw out there, I know that Gil's a busy guy. He's got his hands in a lot of pies. Uh, great guy. But if you ever need a drummer, I'm available. Just hit me right. up and I'd be happy to show up and play some tunes with Triumph, you know? <laughs> you got it, buddy. You're there. I, I, I know how to find you now. <laughs> I appreciate your time, Mike. This is the Industry 45 Podcast Show with Shane Christopher Neal.